And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. They went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? These words, familiar to many of us, come from uh, the eighth chapter of Matthew's gospel. And uh, most of us, or all of us, are probably familiar with how that story ends. It ends with the power of the word of Christ calming uh, the seas and bringing a calm to his followers and therefore a peace of mind to them. Uh, But amidst the storm, they're not at peace. They're fearful. Uh, They're confused. Why is this happening? Uh, For how long will this storm uh, continue? And if you're a disciple of Christ, you know following the Lord can feel confusing at times. Things don't always make sense in our minds. And part of the reason for that is because every day our God's sovereign and providential hand is at work. It's at work in our own lives. It's at work in the life of the church. It's at work throughout the world. But God never explains himself to us. Even within the pages of Scripture, the Lord rarely gives reasons behind the mysterious ways in which his providential hand works. Which is why when tragedy hits or a storm comes in our lives, uh, the two most common questions that surface in our hearts are why? Why? And how long? Why, O Lord, such godlessness in society? Why this continuing temptation or sin? Uh, How long, O Lord, this painful ailment? How long this relational tension or divide that I'm experiencing? These two questions, the questions of why and how long, are the two questions that open the book of Habakkuk in the Bible. Why and how long? As we begin this morning, uh, a new series in that Old Testament prophetic book. The book of Habakkuk. Uh, The book and and prophet, we might characterize as more of a praying prophet uh, than than a mere writing prophet. Because all three of the chapters that make up the book are really prayer. It's either questions or laments or complaints that Habakkuk the prophet is bringing to the Lord. Or we find in the third chapter of Habakkuk this prayer of trust uh, that he brings and offers to God. So I encourage you to turn to the book of Habakkuk, beginning at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Comes after Jonah and Micah, then Nahum, and then Habakkuk. Habakkuk, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Listen now to God's word. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. 
So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I, the Lord, am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Of Habakkuk himself, we know very little. We have no description of him. We don't, aren't provided any background information of his character. Uh, he's not mentioned by any of the other prophets or anywhere else in Scripture, as far as I know. Uh, what we do know is that this short book of three chapters is a bit distinct uh, in that most of the prophetic books consist of a message that the Lord gives to the prophet and then the prophet brings to the people of God. But Habakkuk consists primarily of a conversation. The book is revealing a conversation between the Lord and the prophet himself. So as we read and as we hear the words of Habakkuk, we're really dropping into a conversation, a dialogue that is happening between the prophet and the Lord. And we learn very quickly that Habakkuk is deeply disturbed. Uh, the opening words of this book are the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Uh, that word oracle, it's a common one that we see in other prophetic books. It's simply a pronouncement or a word from the Lord. However, this pronouncement comes in the form of a dialogue. In some versions of the Bible, the word oracle is translated, I think this is true in the King James ver uh, Version, uh, as burden, the burden. Uh, the word means to lift up. And, and for Habakkuk, I think we can say this oracle or word is indeed burdensome. One author said Habakkuk, as a book, is a mirror reflecting the struggle within the souls of God's people. He is perplexed. He is struggling. And the context, the time frame of Habakkuk and his ministry provides us some insight into what is happening. Habakkuk was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. He's ministering uh, in, in the southern kingdom... He's ministering in the time of the final days of the Assyrian Empire and during the time in which there's going to be a transition. There's the rising of the Neo-Babylonians or the Babylonian Empire. So when we read in chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord declare, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. The word Chaldean is another name for Babylonian. Habakkuk is living during very difficult, very hard times. 
Not only would he have known uh, of the events a century prior in 722 with the destruction of, of, of the northern kingdom, the exile of the northern kingdom of Israel, but he himself likely lived through a number of significant events. Uh, the Babylonian siege of Nineveh, Nineveh being the capital city of Assyria in 612 B.C., later uh, experiencing Nebuchadnezzar's first capture of Jerusalem in 597, and perhaps even living through the final destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 586. What's coming, as the Lord reveals and declares, is quite devastating. But the hardships are not just external. They're also internal. God's people at this time, though they had experienced a brief revival under the righteous king Josiah, it was short-lived. The wicked kings, Ammon and Manasseh, they had led the people in worshiping Baal, offering children in sacrifice to false gods, uh, allowing temple worship itself to spiritually spiral and decay and collapse in some ways. And much of that is recorded in 2 Kings 21 to 23. So the people of God themselves were ripe for judgment. Now Habakkuk's world can feel quite removed from ours. And historically it is. Geographically it is. But I think the reality he faced hits close to home. There's political instability They're not on the giving end, but the receiving end of political power and sway. God's people, in many ways, are on the margins with seemingly little influence. So without a doubt, the times are spelling an instability. And we ourselves, individually or corporately, can feel unstable at times. But the deeper question for uh, Habakkuk, his deeper struggle, was how do I reconcile the character of God, the sovereignty of God, with what appears to be incongruous or conflicting acts of God? It's not merely the question or problem of suffering. Why is there suffering in a world governed by an all-good, all-powerful God? It's more, why is the Lord giving what seems to be success to our enemies and frustrating our own aims? It's the question of why God would have wickedness prevail over righteousness. And this is what you see at the end of verse 4. He says, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. You can sense how Habakkuk feels in the complaints that he brings to the Lord. The questions he puts to God. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? He feels that God is, is passive. He's not hearing. He's deaf. He says, or cry to you, Lord, violence and you will not save. He seems unresponsive and distant. Verse 3, why do you idly look at wrong? God seems somewhat indifferent uh, to evil in the world. But perhaps the deepest issue is not what is happening around the people of God. 
It's the struggle of the prophet's own soul. Because behind those questions of why and how long is perhaps a questioning of the very purposes and goodness of God. That's why uh, it was said Habakkuk is a mirror reflecting the struggle within the souls of God's people. See, our primary struggle is not with what is happening outside of us, in the world, in our state, in our culture. It's the struggle within our own soul as to what God is up to. We want to make sense of things. And when they don't make sense, trust, faith is tested. Uh, The Puritan William Bridge in a series of sermons on Psalm 42, that psalm where the psalmist says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My tears, he says, have become my food, as my enemies taunt me all day long. And they say, Where is your God? And then the psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And Bridge says, It's one thing for our enemies to taunt us and say, Where is your God? But it's another for ourselves to begin doubting the presence and the goodness of God when our own soul begins to taunt us, if you will. And I wonder, uh, behind the pandemic, behind uh, major or significant cultural shifts in our society with increasing secularism in various ways, that there isn't more and more doubt among the people of God and just what God is up to. So Habakkuk is important. He is to remind us just where our stability is to rest. Where does our confidence really lie? It seems that every number of years, uh, the nation of Haiti is hit by an earthquake. And there's significant widespread damage. Lives often lost. Devastation to houses and buildings. And if you were to ask the question, well, what's the cause of of that damage? Our immediate response might be, well, they were hit by an earthquake. But then you start to hear and learn more about the kinds of structures and the kinds of materials and the kinds of foundations used. Not only very poor, but the code requirements very low for these structures. That's not to lessen the severity or the power of, of an earthquake... But the same quake or storm that destroys one house hardly shakes another. Because it's not primarily what is outside of us, our circumstance or our culture or our government, but what is happening inside of us that has the greater sway. Habakkuk is being shaken. But there is something that he does in which we ought to follow. Because he brings his complaints and his perplexities to the Lord. He's perplexed. Though he has complaint, perhaps doubts and fears. But it is to the Lord still that he brings his heart. He may question God's ways. He may not be hearing his voice. But he trusts him enough to go to him. To bring his heart to him. And the Lord does respond in verse 5 and following. But his response is a bit frightening. 
The Lord responds with, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe. And what ensues, what follows, would be anything but comforting news to Habakkuk. The Lord is raising a wicked nation described as bitter and hasty in verse 6, seizing buildings not their own, uh, dreaded and fearsome in verse 7. Their justice goes forth from themselves. That is, they determine for themselves what is right and just, not the Lord. Yes, God's people were ripe for judgment, but why and how could God use a far more wicked people as the instrument of his, ju- of his judgment? That, that's at the heart of, of the book of Habakkuk. It's one thing to judge the people of God, but to use an evil, wicked nation to do so. Why, O oh Lord, how? Uh, this is a, a book of great lessons. When we consider our own lives or the life of the church and we, we ask questions, why has this Loss in my life come about? Why this illness? Why has my child walked that path? Why is the ministry of the church disrupted or opposed or the people of God persecuted? And and we cry out to the Lord. One lesson is that we should be grateful that God is not so unkind as to answer all of our prayers when or how we want them answered. You might be thinking, did you say unkind? Yes. Yes. We should be thankful that God is not so unkind as to always give us what we want or when we want it, what we think we need, however good or godly that may be. Because the Lord may be addressing a greater matter in our lives that he wants to draw our attention to. We may, he may be dealing with our selfishness or addressing an idol or disobedience, teaching us to wait upon him, to trust him more deeply. This happens to all of us. You're traveling on your way to some destination. It may just be work or to a friend's house. But then as you're driving, you begin to see those road signs. Slow down, road work ahead, and then that last sign, detour. Detour. And sometimes that detour is a long way around. Perhaps even some rough roads. It's well out of the way to our intentions, our plans, our hopes. God does this in our lives. Because his purposes supersede ours. And central to his purpose is to teach his people to trust in him. A key passage we will see, kind of a hinge within Habakkuk's uh, book, is in chapter 2 that the righteous shall live, the righteous live by their faith or their faithfulness. Habakkuk has questions, he has complaints, he has laments in chapters 1 and 2, but we're going to see a man transformed through this book. So that when you get to chapter 3, for a foretaste here, he says this in verse 17. 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. If it feels like God is delaying, that's for our good. Perhaps to cause us to repent. And if the world asks and perhaps taunts the people of God, why doesn't your God act? Where is your God? Might we respond, my God has acted. My God has acted. He's done a glorious work. It is a work of good news. It's the work of a Savior. It is a saving work. Yes, he has acted. It's the work of a man upon a cross. It's a work that causes me to sing amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Jesus and all in him is mine, clothed in righteousness divine. Yes, a foreign and wicked nation was rising... Verse 9, they come for violence. They gather captives like sand. Verse 11, they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. They're powerful. They're wicked. They have no regard for the Lord. But they do not know what we know. That they, like every nation and every society are in the controls of God. As Proverbs 21 reminds us, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Yes, let us bring our questions of why, of how long to the Lord, but let us not doubt that the wickedness around us is somehow outside of the purposes of God. They are not. Nor are they outside his control. In the midst of this, I think most importantly, as I read very recently, when things around us seem out of sorts, we must see that the greater priority is to have one's own house in order, one's own life in order, to be sure and confident that the ground upon which I am standing and building my life and my faith is a sure foundation, that we are building our life upon the rock, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray to him. Gracious God, how we do praise you for uh, the wonder of your word, uh, how your word provides us from so many perspectives how to navigate and live this faith journey. And we thank you, Lord, that even in times of uh, seeming instability or confusion, we know that you are a God of providence, that you teach us by your word, that you teach us by your sovereign hand. Help us, Lord, to, by your grace, trust in you so that our countenance and our joy and our life of faith would, would flourish not upon that which is around us, but upon your 
uh, immutable character, your constant presence in our lives. And Lord, as you do that work uh, in us, would you cause us to give you all the more praise and glory. Uh, Lord, may your Holy Spirit work uh, through uh, your word to take hold of our hearts, uh, that they would uh, be captive to you, uh, that you would Cause us, Lord, to lift our minds and our hearts heavenward, um, holding on to you, knowing that you uh, hold on to us. Do that work, and we will give you praise, O God. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.